0: Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He's good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen. We're going to talk about Noah today. And there would be some that would say, well, why are you going to spend time talking about that story from the Old Testament? And let me tell you why. It's because it's the story of human history. Amen. <laughs> And you're not going to hear it about it in the public school system. They're going to tell you that you came from uh, amoebas and monkeys and all kinds of other crazy stuff. But this is the origin story. Uh, this Everybody in this room, you can trace your roots back to this story. Noah is your great, 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 you get the picture, grandfather. We all came from this family. And so that should just blow racism out of the water right there. I mean, we all came from one family. Eight people. Eight people. All right, you're going to bear with me, I hope. Um, We're going to have a little bit of review uh, here, too, because we covered the first three uh, verses of chapter 6 of Genesis last time. That's where we'll be, Genesis chapter 6. But I want to read, first of all, From Matthew 24, and it's on the board here, so you, up on the screen, If you, uh, you don't have to turn there. Matthew 24, 37, Jesus Christ said, by the way, Jesus believed in Noah. He, he didn't think that the, the flood was a fairy tale. He believed that it was a historical event. And uh, so we're gonna shatter some myths today. Uh, Jesus said, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Be. So that's why, that's why it's relevant to, to us. I believe Jesus is coming again. How about you? Amen. And Jesus said when he comes again, it'll be like the days of Noah. Now I realize that uh, if you look at this in context, it talks about how that life is business as usual in the days of Noah. They were marrying and giving in marriage. But I think if you'll take a closer look, you'll see that from God's perspective, it was not business as usual. There were some really crazy, uh, wicked things that were going on. But the good news is, even though the times are dark, God's grace is still available to you and me. And so Genesis 6, 8, I'm going to read that and I'm going to ask Preacher Larry if he will pray for us. Genesis 6, 8, I love this verse, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Preacher Larry, would you pray for us? Amen, thank you. All right, Genesis chapter 6, let's, let's quickly look at the first three verses again. It says, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, daughters were born unto them. Notice verses 1 and 2 comprise one sentence. Now if you've got a New Living Translation, it'll break it up into two, but that's a paraphrase, that's not a translation. I'm not against it, by the way, but I'm just stating facts. That if you'll notice, 1 and 2 are one sentence. Um, verse 2. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair or attractive, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. All right, let's go to the first slide, guys. Thank you for your help this morning, as always. First thing we notice, there's a population explosion, okay? Okay. Now, when I mentioned this last time, I said Dr. Henry Morris, who was a brilliant Christian, but he was also a scientist, uh, he said that it's possible that there were several billion people on the planet. And that may have caused some of you to wonder, well, does that number seem legitimate? So I thought I would bring you some statistics, and I apologize for those that are not able to see the the screen here, but I'll read them to you, some statistics from the United Nations website, which is a, a wonderful Christian organization, right? So so you know that this is not I, I'm not, I don't have any angle here. You can go for yourself. Now one of the issues that the United Nations is concerned about is population control, which should make you suspicious of the United Nations. <laughs> uh, but anyway, in 1950, the population, and you can go to the website, check it out, of Earth was 2.6 billion. This is approximate here, okay, 1950. By 1987, Five billion people. 1999, you had six billion people. 2011, seven billion people. And the research says that by November of this year we should reach eight billion. So within 70 years, how many billions have we grown by? About five, five, five and a half, something like that. And people are not living 900 years old now either, like they were in that day. So you see, there could easily be. But in the days of Noah, there was a population explosion. All right. Let's go to the next slide. All right, so a point of review here. The sons of God, we talked about, uh, were angels. They were, not son- they were not descendants of Seth. Anytime in the Bible, the Bible speaks of the sons of God, it is uh, angels. Job 1, 8, Job uh, one six, Job two one, Job thirty eight uh, seven. By the way, this was the majority view until about the fifth century. Augustine uh, he 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 came out with his sons of Seth uh, thing and endorsed it. Angels frequently appeared as what? Not women, but men. Matthew twenty two thirty is one of the objections. Um, where Jesus is talking about how the angels don't marry, but it's the angels in heaven. He's not talking about the angels on the earth who fell. Also, 1 Peter 3, verse 18 through, let's see, what we got here, 22. It talks about a group of individuals that Jesus went and preached to that were in prison. And it says that they were disobedient In the days of who? Noah. And if if this is not angels, there's no other way to explain this verse. It makes no sense otherwise. In 2 Peter 2 verse 4, it says that in verse uh, 5, that God did not spare the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, or the Greek word is Tartarus here, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And he did not spare the old world, but saved Noah. And then he goes on to say he did not uh, he he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, but he saved Lot. So in both cases, there were there was wickedness and there was deliverance. The world was wicked, but God saved Noah. Sodom was wicked, but God saved who? Lot. Okay. Um, Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude, but Jude six and seven it says that the angels did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper uh, King James says habitation. And he is kept in eternal darkness. Um, In verse 7 it says just as. And I'm reading out of the NASB here. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them. Since they in the same way. Just as the angels did. Indulged in gross immorality and went after. There's an interesting phrase here. It says strange flesh. The angels uh, were marrying humans. That was an unnatural union. And also in Sodom and Gomorrah, the the issue was homosexuality. And they are exhibited as an example of eternal fire. All right, and this was the devil's attempt to keep the seed of the woman from coming, I believe. Uh, The Messiah, Jesus, he had to be fully God and fully what? Fully man, fully human. Finally, God warns of judgment. Uh, He says within 120 years, everybody's going to be destroyed. And we talked about this last time, but I don't believe he's talking about lifespan here because Psalm 90 says that the lifespan of man is typically what? Three score and ten or 70 years. And if anything beyond that is a blessing. Do we have anybody over 70 here this morning? I know it's not nice to ask people how old they are. If you're older than 70 years old, let me tell you what, you are a blessed individual. You're blessed. And by the way, your ministry is not over. Moses didn't start leading the children of Israel till he was 80 years old. Abraham didn't have uh, his second baby till he was 100 years old. How many of you ladies ready to have a baby over No, okay. No takers. All right. Now. <laughs> let's go to verse 4, Genesis 6 verse 4. It says now there were now if you got a KJV or a New King James it's going to say giants. There were giants in the earth in those days. Does anybody have a translation that says there were Nephilim? Nephilim? Okay. That's actually the proper translation of it. Um, there, were, there were Nephilim in the earth in those days. And also after that, and we'll, we'll, we'll address this later. When the sons of God came into the daughters of who? Men. And what did they do? They bore what? Children. The same became mighty men who were of old, men of renown. All right, so you can spend a whole day uh, on the Internet Googling the Nephilim. And you're going to come up with a bunch of gobbledygook if you're not careful. Let's go to the next slide. Gobbledygook, that's Greek for baloney. (laughs) Nephilim in Hebrew, it means fallen ones. These were the offspring um, uh, uh, of the angels and the humans. Now you say, that's pretty far out, Henry. I know, it is. But we're talking about the reasons why God had to destroy the, the earth with a flood. That's, that's pretty big deal, right? Pretty big deal. Now it says that they were mighty men. Notice their gender. This, this union did not produce females, apparently. It produced males. What gender are the angels? They're male. These were the mighty men, Now the Hebrew word is giborim, or giborim is plural. And it also says that Nimrod, uh, later on in Genesis, that he was a giborim. What do we know about Nimrod? We know that he was a rebel against God. He was a demonic individual. Um, The same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Now there's a lot of stuff in the world and in the Bible that will not make sense to you if you don't grasp this concept. There are structures all over the world. You can look on the History Channel, but make sure you know your Bible if you watch the History Channel. Okay? They've got this thing called Alien Invasion. Anybody ever seen that? By the way, I think that'll be the devil's explanation for the rapture, is I think he's going to say aliens, because that's, that's why every movie, all these movies talk about aliens, and you know, there's fascination with it. We try to find life on Mars, right? We're obsessed with finding life on Mars, and we can't even acknowledge life in the womb. I felt that, but there's an obsession. We gotta go to Mars. We gotta go to you know, we gotta, space exploration. There are things on Earth, there are structures that have been built and things that don't seem humanly possible, like Stonehenge. People say, how in the heck did that get there? Pyramids, there are all these ancient structures that would have taken uh, you know, incredible skill, Strength, uh, mathematics, tools. There are <laughs> there are stone structures cut at you know right angles. You know the only way to explain that is something supernatural did that, and uh, and and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it because the Bible didn't spend a whole lot of time on the Nephilim. But understand that the Nephilim were the offspring of this unnatural marriage. And because of that, God destroyed the world with a flood. The flood did not destroy sin. That was not the reason for the flood. You say, well, God was dealing with sin. No. Uh, Because you'll find after the the ark comes to rest and Noah comes out of the boat, there's a story that they don't teach in children's church about Noah. Okay? And I'll just whet your appetite on that one. All right, number five, verse five. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I want you to notice three words in there. Uh, Every, only, and continually. This This is total depravity. This is men as bad as they could possibly be. And the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man is revealed. Things are going to get worse and worse, folks. It's not getting better. The evolutionists would have you believe things are getting better. But they're not. They're not getting better. Now, I think that there's a contrast here between God's creation. Flip back back to Genesis 1. And look at verse 31. Somebody with a big booming voice read that. How about you, James? You got a nice... 131. 131. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. In the evening and the morning, the sixth day. All right, thank you. So at the end of that period of time, God looked at everything he had created and what was his evaluation on it. It was good. It was good. Now go back to Genesis 6. And again, God looks, God sees. But now what does God see? He sees wickedness everywhere, doesn't he? Interesting word here. Uh, The King James uses the word imagination uh, in verse 5. It's the same word that means to form. So God formed man uh, in his image. But man used his creative ability to find new ways to do evil things. And that's true today, isn't it? Men are always trying to uh, uh, invent some new way to sin, aren't they? All right. Verse 6. says that it repented the Lord that he had made man in the earth... And it grieved him at his heart. This is God's grief. Did you know that? God is not far removed from his creation. As the deist would have you believe. But God feels the pain of his creation. It's amazing. Now let's go to the next slide, guys. Thank you all. All right. Now you might see this phrase, it repented the Lord that he made heaven and the earth. Now, uh, in your uh, up here it says 1 Samuel 15, it says, it repented, uh, God says it repented me that I have set up Saul to be king. Remember King Saul? Was he a good guy? No. He was a failed experiment in human, le- human leadership. But then notice uh, in the next verse that I, that I uh, put up there on the screen, it says that God will not lie nor do What? repent sir, so is there a contradiction? No let me see if I can um, if I can explain it in, in ways that we can understand It appears from man's perspective that God has changed his mind about something, but God doesn't change his mind about stuff. God responds one way when we 're obedient and he responds another way when we 're disobedient okay. and there's no contradiction there God's Grief. Let, let me give you an illustration of this. How many of you are familiar with the story of Lazarus? If you're not, you can I'm not going to preach out of it, but if you want to do some research on it, John chapter 11, I'm going to give you the Cliffs Notes version of Lazarus. Lazarus was sick near unto death, and Jesus did not go immediately to heal Lazarus. But he let him die. He even told the disciples. He says our friend Lazarus is asleep. And Peter said well that's good. He's taking a nap. Nothing better than a Sunday afternoon nap. Amen. And Jesus said well it's actually a little bit more severe than that. (laughs) He's not taking a nap. He's dead. He was dead for how many days? Four days. And yet... And Jesus, Jesus, what was good Jesus going to do when he got there? Raise him from the dead, right? Was it a last-minute decision of Jesus? Did he know he was going to raise him from the dead? He did. But yet when you get to John chapter 11, you find one of the shortest verses in the Bible. What is it? Jesus wept. Now he knew... Lazarus was dead. And he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So his grief was not because he was surprised. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, I got here and I didn't know Lazarus was going to be dead. He already knew what the solution was. He's still the solution, by the way. But he felt grief. This is the God that you serve. And we need to be careful because the Bible says we can grieve the Holy Spirit, we can grieve him. I'm trying to condense my notes. i got more notes than I need here and more than you you want to hear. (laughs) Thank you for not saying amen. Praise God. All right, verse 7, Genesis 6, verse 7. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. Now, this tells you right here that it's not a a local flood. If there's a local flood, there's no reason... uh, that the birds would need to be involved in this because they could just fly to another location. It repented me that I have have made them. All right, verse. Notice he says he's not going to destroy the fish. Why is that? Because they can live in the water, right? As of yet, we're not. We're not even told that it's a flood. We've not been told that yet. What does verse 8 say? But Noah found what? Grace. Grace. Has anybody here found grace? Anybody just want to say thank you, Jesus, for not giving me what I deserve and giving me what I don't deserve, the grace of God? If nobody else feels that way, I, I know I sure do. I'm so glad God didn't give me what I deserve. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. You'll find this phrase uh, throughout the book of Genesis. Now, the Bible says Noah was a just man. The Hebrew word is a sadik, Speaks of justification. And he was, now, the English says perfect. Is that what your Bible says? Or blameless, something like that. Perfect in his generations. And Noah did what? Who else walked with God? Well, Adam did. Uh, Who who else did in his family? Enoch. That was his great-grandfather. So let's talk just briefly about those three things. Number one, he's just. How does a person get justified before God? By believing in Jesus Christ, right? That's how a person is justified. Now, the Hebrew word for perfect here is the word tamim. Tamim. And it mean, it's used of the sacrificial animals, meaning that they would be without defect or without blemish. And there are certain commentators that believe that this is used because Noah and his sons and their wives were the only ones that had not been corrupted by the intermarriage. So if I could use it this way, his DNA was untarnished because we need a Redeemer that's going to be fully God and fully, fully man. Um, so that's interesting. But he was, he was just and he was uh, perfect or to mean. In his generation, what was Noah's generation like? Were they good guys? Terrible. But it tells me no matter how dark it is in the world that God always has a remnant. And that you don't have to go the way everybody else is going. You can go against the tide. And Noah walked with God. You can too. You can too. Verse 10. Noah begat three sons. They weren't triplets, by the way. We'll do the math on it later. That's for another week. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And that's also not the order of their birth. Uh, Shem is listed first because he's the one that is the seed. He's the one through which Abraham will come, which the Messiah will come through. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God. Notice God sees it all. And the earth was filled with what? What? The Hebrew word is Hamas, which should ring a bell in your ear. Hamas. The earth was filled with Hamas, with violence, and I believe a lot of this is because of the offspring, you know, of the of the uh, the, the Nephilim. They were characterized by by violence. We're living in the days of Noah. People say, well if we can just get rid of guns, we'll get rid of violence. You're a fool. You're a fool, if you believe that. If somebody wants to kill bad enough, they can use their own bare hands. The real the That's right. Everything else is just a tool. That's right. It can be used as a tool. That's right. Anything can be used as a tool. Cain didn't need a gun to kill Abel, did he? <laughs> no. Anybody can. Uh, on September the 11th, you know, they use airplanes to kill people. People drive buses into uh, crowds. People blow themselves up with bombs. Uh, violence. Is, we wonder, why are people shooting the schools? Why are people uh, coming in and shooting kids? It's because you're living in the days of Noah. Violence. And, uh, and it's never talked about, but some of these video games These kids sit in their room and they kill people all day long in in imaginary world. And then they go to school and they kill all their their friends and we wonder why. It's because they study violence constantly. All right. Verse 12. God looked upon the earth. Notice again the, the anthropomorphisms here of God looking, God seeing, God hearing, God feeling. Okay. He's active in his creation. God looked upon the earth and it was corrupt you'll notice in the next two verses corruption is the theme for all flesh that's that's pervasive isn't it all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth and God said unto Noah the end of all flesh how how much flesh is it a local flood or is it a global flood it's global all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth and God said unto Noah the end of what all flesh has come before me For the earth is filled with Hamas, with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. It's total devastation. It's catastrophic. All right, now we get to the fun part. Verse 14. God says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood, if you got a good old KJV Bible. if you don't, it may, they may try to guess and say Cyprus or something like that. Um, well, let me finish reading. Room shall you make the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. First of all, ark. When I talk about an ark, I'm not talking about a boat. Noah's ark was not a boat. It was a box. Um, the word for ark is the word teba. And it's an Egyptian word. Um, it's an Egyptian word, and it means chest or coffin. Now, it's interesting that this was an Egyptian word. Moses was trained by the Egyptians, you know. So it's not unusual that he would use it. It's kind of a unique word. But it was not a boat. It's a box. Let's go to the next slide, guys. The only other time... That this word for ark is used is in Exodus. And uh, like I said, too many notes. In Exodus 2 verses 3 through 5. And I'm not going to read all those. You can read them if you want to. Uh, In Exodus 2, 3 through 5. We see that there is another baby who is placed in an ark. Who is that? Moses. So in both cases, there is a man saved from drowning who would be a deliverer of God's people. In Noah's case, he would deliver the human race. In in Moses' case, he would deliver God's chosen people. And notice also that that this ark, this box that Moses was put in, uh, it was daubed, it was pitched. There was pitch with it too. Uh, th- this is all by design, folks. This is not here by happenstance uh, or by, by accident. God's making a statement here about his, uh, his plans. All right, let's go to the next slide. How many of you have seen a depiction of Noah's Ark that looks something like that in a kid's coloring book or a kid's Sunday school lesson? Now, Lori and Miss Saunders, I'm going to tell you right now, don't you dare teach those kids that that's what the ark looked like. That's what the, the folks at Answers in Genesis, they call it the bathtub ark. That's like something you play in a bathtub with, right? And, but, you know, that's the concept that people have of the ark. And, you know, if you believe that, then I guess I would think it's pretty dumb to think that, that all those animals and stuff could survive on that, too. Now, that's why it's important for us to study the biblical record to separate the, the fairy tales from the facts. This is not what the ark looked like. Uh, not, not even close. <clears throat> now, gopher, gopher wood. Let's talk about that just for a moment. Gopher is a, a what they call a hapax legomenon. It's a word that's only used one time in the Bible. Nobody knows what it means. But but no one knew what gopher wood was, and that's all that matters. Um, somebody asked me, what is gopher? I said, I don't, I'm not sure, but I do know that he was the, uh, the ship's purser on the love boat. He worked for Captain Stooping. And some of you are old enough to get that joke, and the rest of you are like, oh, what is this old man talking about? Love boat. If you didn't grow up in the 80s, you missed it. You totally missed it. That was a Saturday night special. It was a ship. Fantasy Island, yeah, cruise ship. Fantasy Island and love boat. And uh, Friday night was the Dukes of Hazard and the Incredible Hulk. Praise God. <laughs> All right. That little trip to memory lane brought to you by Henry Haney. Praise God. All right. <clears throat> pitch. The word for pitch is actually the word uh, kafar, which is where we get uh, Yom Kippur, or it means covering or atonement. Interesting that that word was used there. Now, One quick note, and then we'll we'll move on, I promise. Notice he says to pitch it within and without. I get why you'd pitch it without, because you're keeping the water out, right? But there are some that have speculated that the reason God told Noah to pitch it within is so it would be preserved. And it may be that this thing is going to surface, pardon the pun, uh, during the tribulation period as a witness to God's people. I don't know. Or it may not. That's just, that's just speculation. All right, let's go to the next slide. We're rocking and rolling here, guys. You're one step closer to the steakhouse or the Mexican restaurant, whatever your, your persuasion is. Let's look at facts about the ark. It's not a bathtub-like uh, structure. Now, uh, God gives instructions uh, in verse 15. He says, and this is the fashion which you shall make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. How many of you folks use cubits as a standard of measurement when you build something today? No? Well, a cubit in the ancient world was supposedly the distance between uh, your elbow to your, the tip of your middle finger, you know. And uh, it's about 18 inches. Now, there's different cubits. There's a royal cubit that's longer, um, but I'm going to go conservative here because I, I, you know, it's just the way I like to do things, and, uh, and Lori and I, we had some fun last night. We got the measuring tape out, and both of us have got a cubit, almost a perfect cubit from our elbow to our middle finger, and she really enjoyed showing me her middle finger when I was measuring <laughs> that too. I, I thought, why are you holding this out like this? But, uh, I'm just having fun, we can have fun, Um, it, But let's put it in terms that we can understand. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Okay, and I know, again, you're thinking, well how can I visualize this? Think about this thing being as big as one and a half football fields. That's pretty big. One and a half football fields, 75 feet wide, um, that's pretty wide. Forty-five feet tall. That's that's high. That's almost four stories. Uh, the boat's going to be three three stories. It's going to be three decks. Now I've got some facts in here for you because I know one of the objections is, well, well, how on earth are all the animals going to fit in there? And um, we've got one point five million cubic feet in the ark using that standard. 95,700 square feet. That's a pretty big boat. Um, The capacity to carry 43,000 tons, that's the equivalent to 550 livestock cars you see in railroads. The ark could carry about 130,000 full grown sheep, but there weren't that many Uh, on the ark. The actual number of animals was probably between 35 and 75. We'll go with 75 just to be conservative. Since I don't have time to go through all of the minutia of this, I'm going to direct you to Answers in Genesis if you want to research this further, because those guys are the experts in their Christian apologetics ministry, and they do an outstanding... How many of you have been to the Noah's Ark replica in Kentucky? Quite a few of you. Pretty impressive structure. Pretty impressive structure. but um, and, and some people will say, let, let, me, let me just throw this in there. This is not in my notes. Some people will say, well, how in the world did Noah and his, his three boys build that boat? And uh, I, I don't know that, he, that, that they were the only ones working on the project. And I, let, me, let me give you just something to think about, okay? You, you read stuff on the Internet sometimes, and it says, well, the ark was built by amateurs. The Bible doesn't say that. For all you know, Noah was a master builder. For all you know, he was, you know, if God's going to tell somebody to build a boat that's going to save the world, I think he's probably going to pick a smart guy. That's just me, I I don't know. Moses was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Uh, Jesus was the smartest individual who ever lived, of course. Solomon was smart, too. The Bible says that, who built the temple? Not David, but who? Solomon. Now, do you think Solomon was in there sawing logs and laying bricks? Or do you think Solomon oversaw the project? Yeah. So it's possible that Noah oversaw the project. You say, "Well, I, you know, I thought only believers work on the ark." Well, listen, we hire folks to work on things here at the church all the time, and I don't ask them if they're Christians or not. And honestly, I'm not really concerned whether or not they are. I want to make sure they do the work right. Amen. Uh, when I get when I've got a problem with my plumbing. I'm not, I'm not looking through the yellow pages for a Christian plumber. I want somebody that's going to stop the leak. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I'm just saying all that to say it's not inconceivable that Noah could have had unbelievers working for him for a paycheck, you know. They could have said, man, you fool, you're building this boat, but I'm, you know, I'm making my 40 hours. I don't know. But th- these are things that we, uh, we need to think about. Okay. Verse 16 says you need to make a window. In the, or an opening uh, in the ark. And Noah said, praise God. Because if you've got a floating zoo, you're going to need some ventilation. I mean, that's going to be an important thing. Ventilation is important even in a bathroom, you know, for humans. Right? <laughs> let, let alone you're floating around with, with elephants and, and donkeys and what whatnot. But, um, and he says, you're going to uh, put a do- There's one door. Now I'm going to suggest to you that the ark itself is a picture of Jesus Christ. But, but furthermore, there's only one door, just like Jesus is the door. He's the way. There's only one way to heaven. Uh, he says you should make um, lower second and third stories. So there's three stories, and uh, it talked about uh, um, what was I going to say? The, the nests. Uh, in, there, in there too. There's places, compartments. Verse 17. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy how much flesh? Where is the breath of life from under heaven? And how many things that are in the earth? Are you starting to see a theme here? Everything's going to die. But with you, he says, I will establish my covenant. This is the first mention in Genesis of a covenant. And hopefully you've, you've seen our teaching series on our YouTube channel, The Eight Covenants of the Bible. If you haven't, please do so. Um, he speaks of the covenant, uh, the Noahic covenant. And you should come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Uh, here's another thing we, we need to talk about. Well, how long did it take to build the ark? Well, Uh, He had 120 years, roughly, but I don't know that it took that long because apparently Noah's sons were already grown and married. So it may not have taken, uh, you know, 100 years to build the ark. I don't don't know. It may have. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, you shall bring into the ark to keep them alive, and they shall be what? Male and female. I know we live in a world that says that men can get pregnant, but they can't, I promise. The reason he's brought male and female here is for the purpose of procreation. And the same is true today. God made them in the beginning, male and female. There's two genders. Biblical marriage is one man with one woman for a lifetime. That is biblical marriage. Okay. Um, Verse 20, of fowls after their kind and of cattle after their kind. And again, there will be no need to bring birds on the ark if it's a local flood. Because they could just fly to a different location. Cattle after their kind, and creeping things of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. Uh, One quick note here. Notice this is after their kind. And from what I understand, kind is broader than species. So don't think necessarily, necessarily, and again, I'm not an expert, that when God brought dogs on the ark, that he brought a a pit bull and a dachshund and a bull mastiff and a, a labradoodle. Or whatever you know, uh, not necessarily. But I'm not an expert, so I'll leave, I, again I refer you to Answers in Genesis for that kind of thing. But notice what's not uh, brought in there is the, the the sea life, the fish, because they're going to survive. Now notice in verse 20 how the animals are going to be acquired. Is Noah going to go hunting for bears? Is he going hunting for tigers? What does it say? The animals will come to you. Wow. That in itself should have been a sign to the world. When they saw the animals going into the ark. It's interesting, isn't it? The animals know how to obey God. as people that give him all the trouble. But the animals are coming to the ark. Now it does say in verse 21 that you shall gather the food. And you shall gather it to you, and it shall be for food for you and for them. And that's still God's program, you know. God provides all that we need, but you still got to work. Put food on the table. Verse 22. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Put your name there instead of Noah. Would that be a true statement? well I know it wouldn't be for me how many of us could say we've done everything God commanded us to do but Noah did Noah did that brings me to our next slide and we're almost done here justification always anticipates sanctification Noah didn't just simply say Lord I believe and somehow some way you're going to work it all out for me God because I just trust you because you're a good, you're a loving God. You won't let me drown. Is that what Noah did? No. He grabbed his tools and his boys and went to work. Or at least all oversaw the project. Hebrews eleven seven by faith, Noah being warned of God by of things not seen as yet. What things? Rain, flood. <laughs> yeah. Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the which he condemned the world and became the right the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. This is the obedience of faith. A few weeks ago I woke up and the Lord spoke to me, and I don't say this lightly. I don't say this lightly at all. And I'm not one to use it flippantly either. But this came into my spirit as 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 loud and clear as as I'm talking this morning. So, Henry, I don't want you to build build a church, I want you to build an ark. And no, I don't think he meant he wants me to build a a physical structure. But I think he wants me to do what Noah did. To preach, preach the coming of the Lord. And to do everything I can to make sure that everybody that I know, that I love, is going to come into that ark with me. And I hope that would be your goal too. To see. Alright, let's go to the next slide. There's only two more. Summary of the days of Noah, shall we? Let's just wrap this up. Because the Bible says that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be... When the Son of Man is revealed. Number one, there's a population explosion. We're, we're there, guys. All of that started about 1950. Guess what else started about 1950? The moral rot that this country's in. If I were to put you in a time capsule in 1950, and I were to take you out today, I believe you'd have a heart attack just from shock of how evil society has become. But we are like the proverbial frog in the kettle. You ever heard that anal- analogy? Now, I don't know if this is true or not, uh, so maybe I shouldn't use the analogy, but supposedly, if you put a, pot, uh, a frog in a pot of boiling water, he'll jump out. But if you put him in lukewarm water and you just steadily heat that pot up, he'll stay in there and, until he dies. And I think that's where we are. we become so accustomed to evil that we're not moved by it anymore. We, it, it's so pervasive in our society. The music that we listen to, the television programs we watch, the movies that we watch, the literature, everything tells us that right is wrong and wrong is right. And we hear it so much that we're not shocked anymore. Turn on the, net, the television. Turn on the news, just briefly. Look at the headlines. There, it should be shocking. It should be shocking, but it's not, is it? It's like, oh, somebody shot at school today. Somebody shot a school today. Somebody killed their child today. Abortion. On demand. The very things that our society is fighting for, rabid, people are just rabid because they want to be able to kill their babies. And they call it reproductive rights. That's a real sanctified way of saying killing babies. Reproductive rights. But we scream for abortion. We cry out for same-sex marriage to be condoned and to be legitimized. The very things that God said will destroy any society. And here we are. And violence everywhere. Look, you don't have to go. uh, We don't even have to talk about violence on a big scale. All you got to do is get out on the highway and you'll see rage everywhere. You're not going fast enough or you're not going slow enough or whatever. Be, Be careful out there. People will kill you. Over nothing. Exponential population increase. Sexual immorality of an nat- unnatural nature. Regardless of what you think about the Nephilim or about angels or whatever, it was clearly something demonic that was going on. Okay? And our society is a sex-obsessed culture. Everywhere. It's everywhere. It's... Uh, it's, it's no longer a matter of privacy anymore. Everything's out in the open. Everybody wants to show just how proud they are of every uh, deviant thing that they do. There's demonic influence everywhere. Violence is the norm. Uniformitarianism. You know what that is? That's this evolution garbage. This is why Satan promotes this evolutionary nonsense. Anybody with half a brain would know evolution is bogus. But he's got to make you believe that the earth is billions of years old. Whenever I watch a history program and it says billions of years ago, I just go ahead and change the channel. Because I think, well, this fool doesn't know what he's talking about. Billions of years old. But see, Satan has to make you believe that. Because if you believe that, then Noah's Ark never happened. The the flood never happened. Everything's just continuing on the same track. Everything's just the same as it always was. Listen, there are things for which there are no explanation like fish fossils up on top of mountains. Come on. We'll talk more about that in in a few weeks. I'm not going to get into all that today. But there's things that will not make any sense unless you have a catastrophic flood. But that's what the world believes, uniformitarianism. Inventing new ways to do evil things. You know, I noticed the big thing now. I saw it in my social media feed. Uh, the big thing now is these virtual reality glasses. Have you noticed that, these goggles, everybody's walking around? I, I predict that within the next few years, instead of everybody walking around with their cell phone in their hand, they're gonna be walking around with these stupid goggles on in an imaginary world. Transhumanism, you know, becoming more and more integrated with our devices. You, you need to do some research. Look into the World Economic Forum. See their stated goals to merge transhumanism, to merge men with their devices, chips. Um, it's, it's wonky stuff, man. It's, it's scary stuff. Uh, finally, and this is one that I credit Skip Heitstein because I never really thought about it. How many people survived the flood? Eight. So that, and, and 2 Peter 2 verse 5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now what was his message? Um, Was it turn around, don't drown? Sorry, I couldn't resist. That was goofy. (laughs) What did he preach? I don't know. But he preached judgment was coming, I believe. And just the building of the ark was a testimony. But we live in an era, we live in a day and age when gospel preaching is not popular. Most people... Don't want to sit under gospel preaching. And that's why you've got these churches that have completely twisted and distorted God's word because they want to create a God in their own image. Final slide. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Guess what? It's not too late for you. God brought you here today. You may be here today and you think, "Well, I just came out of obligation. Or my husband or my wife may be coming today or uh, whatever but it's no accident that you're here today no accident that you're listening to this no accident that you're watching this on Facebook today God wants to save your soul Romans 6 23 says the wages of sin is death if you get what you deserve you will die and go to hell but the gift of God is eternal life Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. And that's exactly what we would do. If we could do anything to earn our salvation we would do it. Because that's how people are. We're proud as peacocks. We would strut our stuff. Listen to me very carefully. Don't change the channel on me just yet. What you see in our world is the days of Noah right before your very eyes. Me and HT were talking about this before the service. I don't know if you caught it on the news, but the major players in the Ezekiel 38 war had a summit this week. It was Iran, Turkey, and Russia. That is the Gog-Magog coalition, and we don't have time to go into that. But the enemy of the north that is going to invade Israel, and we don't know exactly when. It may be prior to the rapture. It may be during the tribulation. I don't know. But the, but the exciting thing is that that is already taking shape. And uh, I, when I saw that, I thought, wow, here's a picture of these three guys that the Bible predicted Now, it may not be Putin. It may not be the leader of Iran. It may not be Turkey. But it's those regions, okay? That's the important thing. The leaders may come and go. But from those regions are coming this attack against Israel. And it is coming, folks. And God is trying to get our attention. All this stuff in Ukraine is nothing but a precursor to Gog Magog. And if you listen to the secular media, you're going to be lost. If you listen to the news media, because they don't report the truth. They don't. But we know the truth, don't we? This is the truth. The Bible says that Jesus is coming again, and the signs are all around us, folks. Would you stand? For 120 years, God warned the people. He gave them a chance to repent. And only eight souls were saved. I don't know how long it's going to be before Jesus comes again. I don't know, but quite honestly, folks, no man knows the day or the hour. I can't see this thing going on for another 50 years. I just can't. Now maybe you say, well, that's what so-and-so, I've heard that all my life. What you've heard all your life has no bearing on anything. The truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. Israel's back in the land, and, and all of the major players are getting into place. Apostasy's in the church. Wickedness is pervasive. I mean, uniformitarian uh, violence is the, is the order of the day. We are living in that terminal era when Christ is coming again. But listen, even if Jesus doesn't come in your lifetime, you and I are going to meet God one day. We are, our life is a vapor for a little time, and then it passes away. People, I, I, you know, I'm amazed now. When you look through the yearbook, and I see people that were classmates with with me and Leanne and Ken, and I see you know that some of them have passed away now. And I don't consider myself an old person necessarily, but it's just, it's, just, it's just, it shakes me to the core now. No man knows when his hour is coming. So you have to be ready to meet the Lord. So here's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life because you never could. Some of you in here are thinking, well, I'll, get my, I'll come to God when I get everything fixed. All this stuff taken care of in my life. You'll die lost. You'll never get it together. You'll never get your act together. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life in your place. He was tempted in every way, just like you are, yet without sin. He died on the cross on Calvary in your place. There's no reason for you to go to hell because Jesus took your place on that cross. He took your place. I call it the great exchange. You won't find a better deal anywhere. You trade in your righteous deeds that are filthy rags for his perfect righteousness. And you can be just, just as pure before God as the Son of God is. That's the great exchange. He died in your place. He was buried in a garden tomb that he wouldn't need for very long because he would rise from the dead on the third day and he is at the right hand of the Father right now he sent his Holy Spirit to the world in the earth and even as I speak the Holy Spirit is drawing individuals in this room listening to this, this broadcast the Holy Spirit is moving in your life and I implore you today just like Noah I'm sure Noah felt such a sense of urgency, such a sense of heaviness and a burden as he was building that boat, that ark rather, and preaching the word of God. I feel the urgency in my spirit. Do not wait another day if God is calling you. Come, tomorrow may never come, but salvation is available. You today can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Would you come? Each one of you, I thank you for being in the house of God and for your prayers. I know that you're praying for me. Uh, this week was just a wonderful time of study, and I I thought, God, you're showing me things I've never seen before in your word. And this came into my spirit immediately. People are praying for you. So keep your prayers coming because it's, it's going to make for some better preaching if you do, I promise. Uh, keep praying for me and pray for pray for our family that God would just build a hedge of protection around us because these, these are difficult days for anybody that would stand for the truth but we have to preach it no matter whether it's popular or not uh, next Sunday we'll have uh, communion in the, in the AM service this Thursday night uh, we'll have a deacons meeting 7pm Thursday night 7pm uh, we'll have a deacons meeting and so if you have any concerns you need to get to the deacons before then there's your uh, advance notice on that that's right, homecoming will be the second Sunday in August. The Montgomery family will be with us. So uh, that will be on, that'll be here before you know it. All right, Wednesday nights, uh, always I hope to see you there. We're continuing our study on baptism with the Holy Spirit with the adults. And James and John will be teaching the young people. Uh, in the fellowship hall. The, gr- the group is growing. It's great. Amen. John, did you have anything you want to say about what's going on? James, either one of you? Amen. All right. That's good. Brother Lane, would you close us in prayer?